reading today is from Isaiah, chapter 32, starting from verse 1. See, a king will reign in righteousness, and rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Please um, turn the page, and um, I'm going to start reading from chapter 33, verse 1. Woe to you, destroyer, you who have not been destroyed. Woe to you, betrayer, you who have not been betrayed. When you stop destroying, you will be destroyed. When you stop betraying, you will be betrayed. Lord, be gracious to us, we long for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in time of distress. At the uproar of your army, the peoples flee. When you rise up, the nations scatter. Your plunder, O nations, is harvested as by young locusts. Like a swarm of locusts, people pounce on it. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Look, their brave men cry aloud in the streets. The envoys of peace weep bitterly. The highways are deserted, no travellers are on the roads. The treaty is broken, its witnesses are despised, no one is respected. The land dries up and wastes away, Lebanon is ashamed and withers. Sharon is like the Arabah, and Bashan and Carmel drop their leaves. Now will I rise, says the Lord, now will I be exalted, now will I be lifted up. You conceive chaff, you give birth to straw. Your breath is a fire that consumes you. The peoples will be burned to ashes like cut thorn bushes. They will be set ablaze. You you who are far away, hear what I have done. You who are near, acknowledge my power. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? Those who walk righteously and speak what is right who reject gain from extortion and keep their hands from accepting bribes, who stop their ears against plots of murder and shut their eyes against contemplating evil. They are the ones who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. Their bread will be supplied and water will not fail them. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar. In your thoughts, you will ponder the former terror. Where is that chief officer? Where is the one who took the revenue? Where is the officer in charge of the towers? You will see those arrogant people no more and people whose speech is obscure, whose language is strange and incomprehensible. Look on Zion, the city of our festivals. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode, a tent that will not be moved. Its stakes will never be pulled up nor any of its ropes broken. There the Lord will be our mighty one. It will be like a place of broad rivers and streams. No galley with oars will ride them, no mighty ship will sail them. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, and it is he who will save us. Your rigging hangs loose, the mast is not held obscure, the sail is not spread. Then an abundance of spoils will be divided, and even the lame will carry off plunder. No one living in Zion will say, I am ill, and the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. This is God's word. Uh, Morning, everyone. If uh, you've been with us in Isaiah, this is a good bit, okay? This is a good bit. No more, uh, this is like, 
good news. Um, so uh, you'll be pleased you've uh, come this week. Uh, if you've um, been with us over the last few, let me pray and um, then I'll take us through uh, what's happening here in Isaiah 33. Our great God and Father, as it's declared here, you are a sure foundation for these times. You are a rich store of salvation and wisdom, and the fear of you is the key to this treasure. Lord, we want, we desire a store, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. Would we rightly understand what it means to fear you and do so? Would we trust you and therefore have a sure foundation in our times? We do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. did meet with one man uh, this week who said, somewhat wearily, uh, I, think, I think I've given up on following the Lord, I think. It's just been too much the last few years. Setback, setback, setback. And I um, wasn't angry. He just said, I just think I, I just think I can't do it anymore. I think I'm done. I'm just too discouraged. What do you say? It's quite easy, I think, to give in to a sense of feeling overwhelmed, perhaps despair. I mean, at a time such as this, you could easily do that. Uh, Maybe the wider culture, get a bit fed up with the... um, sort of wider culture and certain voices in the, in the media sort of mocking Christianity or things. It's done, it's, it's finished. It's a little bit wearing uh, hearing those things. The national church sort of rolling over and basically aligning with that. Um, that's a bit discouraging. But for most of us, I guess, like this guy, it's personal issues. We're just... Uh, I don't know, there probably is still a God, but... Oh, to, to sort of actively follow him, I don't know. Is it worth it? How do you keep trusting the Lord when the stresses come, when the blows keep coming? And the Lord's word to us in Isaiah 33 would be, you, know, you just keep looking to my power, keep looking to the future that I'll bring. I mean, there are many things you could say in response. But here in Isaiah 33, those two are held up. Keep looking to my power. Keep looking to the future that I'll bring. Now, if you have been with us, these chapters, uh, really chapter 28 to 35, uh, this one block, the question over it for, for Isaiah's day is, who will you trust? Will you trust the Lord or will you trust in Egypt? Um, if we can have our famous map up, uh, we've put up most weeks, um, so Assyria, Assyria, you can see in the middle, the, the um, pink blob uh, in the middle, uh, has expanded, expanded, expanded. For the, the 745 BC, it's that size. By 701 BC, it's grown and grown and grown. And the big threat is to Judah uh, in the um, right sort of uh, southwest corner of, um, of where Assyria has grown to, this tiny little kingdom. Uh, its capital is Jerusalem. Its king is Hezekiah. You see Jerusalem and just below it, Lashish will come to uh, in a moment. But that is, what do you do when the great war machine of the time says, we're coming for you, we're coming for you? 
Well, the policy in, in uh, Judah and Jerusalem has been to trust Egypt. Well, we'll ally ourselves with uh, another country. Uh, they'll help us out. Uh, that's been hopeless for them. They've kept on making the wrong decisions. And so uh, if you've been here, Isaiah has relentlessly said, woe to you, five times uh, beginning in chapter uh, 28, woe to you, Jerusalem, for trusting Egypt. Woe to you, uh, people of Judah. Woe to you last time, you obstinate children. Woe to you, woe to you. It's madness to trust in Egypt. And um, the years have ticked by, and by the time we get to chapter 33, it is 701 BC. And the Assyrians really are gathered on the border, physically, Guess a little bit like Ukraine today, feeling the gathering forces on their border. And actually, they invade. And um, even the king, Hezekiah, who's a good king, he loses his mettle a little bit. So um, 2 Kings 18 gives you the detail. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. And uh, Sennacherib was clearly very pleased with this because he's recorded it in an enormous detail. If you go to the British Museum, uh, you can't really see the detail of that one, but they have a, it's, it's, there's a whole room in the British Museum of, the, they're called the Reliefs of Lashish, so this town in Judah. They're about like two meters tall, this whole room full of them, so he was quite pleased with this victory. Assyria invades in 701, and you can't, I don't know why I bother putting it up there, really. You can't see it, can you? But he's on the throne, and everyone is bowing down before him, and he's ordering some captives to be slaughtered. Devastating. That's why they're scared. Your country has been invaded. All that's left by this point is the capital city, Jerusalem. That's why they're petrified. That's why they fear Assyria. And uh, so Hezekiah, he's, he's desperate at this point, and so he says to uh, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, look, I'll give you loads of money. He empties his own palace. He goes to the temple of the Lord, takes all the treasure out, strips all the gold from the exterior of the temple, melts it down, and says to, Hez uh, says to Sennacherib, king of Assyria, it's like extortion money, essentially. Here you go, take this and go. And the king of Assyria says, thank you very much, I will take that and continues to invade. And that's where we've got to by the time of Isaiah, chapter 33. And into that situation, we get the last of six woes. Chapter 33, verse 1, woe. But unlike the former five, which are woe to you, Judah, you silly people trusting in Egypt, this one is woe upon Assyria because evil will rebound upon those, the heads of those who practice it. So what we get here is a declaration in chapter 33. Lord, we'll wait for you. Finally, at the last minute, the people say, we'll trust you. How? Well, we'll work through it and see how it applies to us. But it's essentially, Lord, we'll wait for you. We'll trust you by doing these two things, by looking to your power, by looking to your future. So if you want to be able to say and join in with words such as Isaiah 33, verse 2, Lord, be gracious to us, we long for you. You have to look to his power and you have to look to the future he'll bring, okay? 
Let's work through it. First then, Lord, we'll wait for you. Chapter 33, well, verse 1, of course, sorry, let me explain. Chapter 33, verse 1 is about Assyria. Woe to you, destroyer, you who have not been destroyed. Woe to you, betrayer, who took all this money from, them, from, from Hezekiah uh, and then said, great, and carried on the invasion. Woe to you, you who have not been betrayed. When you stop destroying, you'll be destroyed. When you stop betraying, you'll be betrayed. That is Assyria's future. And in response, the people of Judah say, well, thank goodness for that. But verses 2 to 6, they read a little bit like a psalm. Verse 2, Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in time of distress. He, he's, it's a good prayer, isn't it? As it's like what a psalm of David. This is what they should have been doing all along. Now, finally, at the last moment, when they have nothing else to hope in, okay, we'll trust you now, Lord. We've got, we've got nowhere else to go. Verse 3, there'll be confidence in the place of fear. At the uproar of your army, the peoples flee. When you rise, the nations scatter. Your plunder, O nations, is harvested as by young locusts. Everything that uh, Assyria has taken will take it back. Verse 5 and 6, this is what a country should like when there's good government. Verse 5, the Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. He'll fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He'll be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. This is okay. This is what we want, Lord. We want you at the center, and then this country will be run well. We had read just chapter 32. Chapter 32 is all about good government. When you have a good king, that's what it looks like. It's like five and six. Now, there's plenty here, but let me just draw out two things just from this declaration of faith, Lord, we'll wait for you. Two things for you and for me. Uh, the first is a bit subtle, but it's this. Y you need others to tell you the truth. That'll be lost on us in the English, but all these verbs, to begin with, verse 2, Lord, be gracious to us, plural, we, plural, long for you, be our, plural, strength every morning, our salvation in the time of distress, all these plurals, and then verse 6, he, the Lord, will be a sure foundation for you, singular, for, for your times. So, so what's going on in these verses is there's a whole gang of faithful Israelites, a remnant, there's a gang, and they're saying to an individual, verse 6, now look, you can keep trusting the Lord. He will be the sure foundation for your times. Keep trusting him. Keep going with him. He does rule. And um, I love the realism of that. Because often we may waver and we need others to come around us and say, now remember who he is. <laughs> remember that the Lord is a sure foundation. You, you can trust him. We need others at times to say that to us. Everyone here will have some periods in their life where they waver a little or a lot. Is it true? Oh, I'm just forgetting which way is up. I... Now, the foolish thing to do at that point is say, I can't go to church with my doubts. I, I need to get myself sorted before I go, which is the wrong way around. <laughs> Um, because we all ebb and flow in the Christian faith, and we come here to be reminded of which way is up 
which way is true. I've shared with you numerous times uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's quote, which I've found profoundly helpful in my own life. The Christian needs another Christian to speak God's words to them. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. You see what he's saying? Sometimes you just need to, people to say to you things you know are true. I know. I've read the Bible. Look, I've been a minister for 20 odd years. I know that's true. But if someone says it to you, it's just different. They're declaring it to you. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we are wobbling and we need others to come around us and say, verse 6 of chapter 33, he will be the sure foundation for your times. He is a rich store of salvation and wisdom knowledge. He is what you need. You can keep trusting him. Sometimes we need someone else to say that to us. That's the first little thing in these verses. Uh, we need others to tell you this truth. And, uh, but do notice the second little thing. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Verse 6. Makes me slightly think. Uh, forgive me, indulge me a little bit. Can you imagine a, a salesman coming along? Uh, would you like a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge? Well, yes, I would, actually. I would like that. It's behind that door. Great. I can't open the door. Have you got a key? I do. The key is the fear of the Lord. That is, that is the way you access wisdom, a, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge so that you have a sure foundation for your life, the fear of the Lord. Now, of course, you need to understand that rightly. I guess biblically, fear is used in the sense of recognizing your fate is in the hands of another which is a good thing or a bad thing, depending whose hands they're in. So if you have a highly erratic boss whose temper explodes every now and again, you fear them because your life is out of control. Your life is in their control because they may just explode at any moment. If you have vast debts, you fear the phone call from the bank because your finances are in their control, not in your control. But if you place your hand, your life in the hands of the Lord. You fear him. In the sense, you say, my fate is in your hands, God. But that is a good thing. You fear someone into whose hands you've placed your life. But that is a good thing if it's the Lord. Because it's better than being in control of your own life. I mean, we, we think we sometimes have the, the appearance of control, but not really, not of health, not of circumstances, not of travel plans in a pandemic, not even if we can go to work on Monday. Oh, it's tested, no, it's positive. Um, we, we're not in control. But if you, you place yourself into the hands of the Lord, I'd say, I, I fear you. I recognize my fate is in your hands. That is a good thing. And it's the key. It's the key to this treasure store of salvation and wisdom. So there's the declaration, Lord will wait for you. Sometimes we need others to tell us that. We need to recognize the fear of the Lord accesses this treasure. But, okay, but how do we get there? How do we get cognitively or 
emotionally to the place where we can say, Lord, there's plenty of anxieties. There's an army at the gates, but we trust you. Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Well, the two things again in the chapter, you look to his power and you look to the future. Let's run through those two. First, by looking to his power in verses 7 to 16. Let me uh, push through it uh, relatively quickly. What's happening here? First, uh, in verses 7 to 9, human power has failed. So look, the brave men of Judah and Jerusalem, they cry aloud in the streets. The envoys of peace that they'd sent to Egypt weep bitterly because Egypt's been battered by Assyria too. The highways are deserted. There's no travelers on the roads. Everyone's scared to go outside. The treaty is broken. Well, Assyria said, yeah, we'll take your money and, well, we'll just you up anyway. Witnesses despised, no one's respected, the land dries up and wastes away. Disaster. Yeah, yeah, we've come to the point now where human power has obviously failed, their ingenuity, their plans, their trust in human resources, Egypt's tanks, it's failed. And so the Lord's power is revealed. Do you see the difference? Verse 10, God says three times now, Now will I arise, says the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I be lifted up. Now I'm going to act. I'm what you need. Verse 11, I think probably here is Assyria. Assyria, you conceive chaff and give birth to straw, and your breath is a fire that consumes you. What a strange picture. I think the point is is you've brought this on yourself. You've given birth to straw, and you've burnt it up with your mouth. All your problems are your own. And verse 12, the peoples will be burned to ashes like cut thorn bushes. They'll be set ablaze. Well, we'll get there, chapter 37. But Assyria is devastated by the Lord. He steps up. The Lord's power is revealed. Then verses 13 to 16, his forgiveness is granted. Verse 13, look, everyone needs to hear this. You who are far away, hear what I have done. You who are near, acknowledge my power. This is for all the nations. The sinners in Zion, Jerusalem, in Judah, are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. And here's the question. Who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? Judah, you fear the wrong things. Judah, don't fear Assyria. I can flick them off the map. You want to fear me. You want to remember my people. I am, verse 14, a consuming fire. I'm everlasting burning. uh, Judah, fear me. I am much more dangerous to you than Assyria is. Fear me, recognize your fate is in my hands. Now, for you and for me in the 21st century, the Lord could easily say, you fear the wrong things. You're fearing this circumstance. You're fearing this person. Fear me. Your fate is in my hands, and I can flick these other anxieties right out of your life quite easily. If I choose, fear me. You need to reckon with me, first of all, and make sure you're on my side. 
Phil uh, brought this to our attention. Phil Alcock, I thought this was magnificent. Uh, Adrian, this guy used to be in the, congreg uh, uh, the evening congregation here, uh, was doing a little bit of DIY at home. And, uh, you know, he's fairly competent at such things. Uh, but perhaps a little blasé uh, a couple of weeks ago on where the electric cables run in his house. A little blasé uh, on that, particularly when he was uh, wielding his drill. And he drilled down and hit a three-phase main supply, uh, but uh, sort of humbly posted this photo of the outcome. To clarify, he... There was more left than just the clothes. The, um, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, he didn't post a photo of himself, although he did admit, I now have no eyebrows. My hairline has gone halfway up my head, and I'm peeling all over the place on my face. But it's a pretty close escape at the same time. Now, there we go. Everyone wielding a drill this afternoon, just take a little more care. But why? Electricity is so useful all around us, and we can easily forget you need to be a little bit careful. And you've been a Christian a while, I'm a Christian, and I know the Lord, and he's all around me, and we forget. Yeah, but remember, you can only come near the everlasting fire because of Jesus. Fear him. Recognize your life is in his hands. You fear the wrong things. As long as you are reconciled to God in Jesus, that is what you need to know. That is what you need to address. He can deal with all your other fears. Or question, the question of verse 14 is, who can dwell with this everlasting burning? The answer, verse 15 those who walk righteously and speak what is right, who reject gain from extortion and keep their hands from accepting bribes, who stop their ears against plots of murder, who shut their eyes against contemplating evil. They're the ones who dwell on the heights. Not, not, he's not saying that your behavior can put you right with the everlasting fire, but those who are on God's side will walk this way. Ultimately, of course, there's only one who, verse 15, always walked righteously, always spoke what is right. That is the Lord Jesus. He's the only one who by in himself could stand before the everlasting consuming fire. And only if we fear him, Jesus, put our fate in his hands, can we stand before the Lord. And know, verse 16, then his provision the bread will be supplied, water will not fail them. He'll give us everything I need. So there's the first. If you're going to sing, Lord, we wait for you. Lord, be gracious to us. We trust you. Be our strength. Every... You need to know his power. You need to know that he's the one to fear, but that he's made it safe for you to dwell before the everlasting fire. You need to know that. And then secondly, you need to look to the future. You need to look to the future to wait, to sing, Lord, be gracious to us, we, we look for you. You need to look to the future, uh, verses 17 to 24. Here then is a picture of after defeat. 
after Assyria has been broken. But the language is clearly uh, exalted language. It, it goes beyond that. Um, let me remind you, the, the very familiar picture. Old Testament prophecy is often compared to a mountain range. Uh, so it's a very familiar picture. So there's Isaiah. Um, he, he needs a bit more bread and water. Uh, but there's Isaiah in uh, 701 BC. And so he's looking at this mountain, the immediate crisis. But some of the language here, it must be about Jesus. He's coming in the first century. And some of it must be about what happens when he returns. Okay, let's leave that up, Eleanor, for now. Um, uh, so when sometimes you have to work out when you're reading a prophecy, which period is this actually speaking about? And sometimes it blurs a little bit. That's just the nature of the genre. But what's happening here, verses 17 to 19, fears are just a memory Verse 17, Isaiah says, Your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar. In your thoughts, you'll ponder the former terror. Where is that chief officer? Where's the one who took the revenue? Where is the officer in charge of the towers? You know, it's a bit like, do you remember we were really scared about Assyria? Do you remember that? You know, a few years ago, do you remember like the chief, the, the, their, their soldiers, their chief officers, the, the ones who took all the money, took all the revenue from the, from, the, um, from the temple. Do you remember how scared we were? Yeah, sort of vaguely. Can't quite remember how terrifying it was. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was bad at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. That sort of, you can't even remember quite. These fears are just a memory. Verse 19, you'll see those arrogant people no more. People whose speech is obscure, whose language is strange and incomprehensible. Picks up from verse 28. Some will remember who are here. Chapter 20, excuse me, chapter 28. Uh, Isaiah has warned Judah, you will be invaded by a people whose speech is obscure, whose language is strange and incomprehensible, the Assyrians. You'll fear them no more. No more. Two wonderful little words that Revelation picks up on, the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible and says, when Jesus returns, there'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more sadness. The things you feared, just distant memory. It was bad at times on earth, wasn't it? Yeah, do you remember when we were 30? Or oh, don't. Um, yeah, but it's just a memory now, isn't it? Just drowned out, swallowed up in the joy of Jesus' return. What do we say? We say Christians, I suppose, say verse 17, we've seen the king in his beauty in part. We've seen Jesus on the page of the New Testament. We've seen his character. We've seen how glorious it is. We've seen how wonderful it is. We have people, rulers like him. But of course, in the new creation, we see him face to face. Fears are just a memory then. The city is secure, I think, is the point of verses 20 to 22. Look on Zion or Jerusalem, the city of our festivals. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode. A tent will not be moved. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its ropes broken. Permanent. There the Lord will be our mighty one. It'll be like a place of broad rivers and streams, but no one will invade. No galley with oars will ride them. No mighty ship will sail them. There's no, no fear that someone's going to sail up with a gunship and, and blow. No 
because, verse 22, the Lord is our judge. Like Samson or Gideon, the Lord is our lawgiver. Not just fairness, but perfect justice. The Lord is our king. He'll deliver and rule. And forgiveness brings treasure, I think, is the point of verses 20 to 20, 23, 24 at the end. Again, another nautical picture, verse 23. Your rigging hangs loose. The mast is not secure. The sail is not spread. Now, I have not sailed a big ship. The, thing I've, the largest thing I've sailed is probably a two-man dinghy. But I do know that when your boat is like this, you are not in control and it's, you can do nothing. The only reason your boat is like this is if you've just taken everything down, you're coming into shore. And yet, verse 23, an abundance of spoils will be divided. Even the lame will carry off plunder. The, the point is, due to Jerusalem, you're about to inherit riches and you will have contributed nothing. It would be like trying to break the cutty sark out of its boring and say, right, we're now going to take on the Chinese fleet in the uh, uh, South, Asia, South China Sea or something. With a cutty sock, yes. Good luck with that. Um, no, Jerusalem, all you've got is a ship that's not even ready. It's got no sail. It's got no rigging. The mast is lying on the... You contribute nothing, but you're going to inherit an abundance of spoils. Even the lame, even the Christian who's done very little in this life to serve the Lord, still by God's grace, inherits with him. And verse 24, no one living in Zion will say, I'm ill. And the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. Literally, iniquity will be carried away. The only time that form in the Old Testament is in the, on the Day of Atonement. Iniquity is carried away. It's a picture of the work of Jesus. Your sins carried away. So what does it look like? Well, yes, Isaiah is looking to the destruction of Assyria in 701, but he's also looking to the first century where Jesus came and beautifully offered forgiveness. He's looking forward to Jesus' return. When everything we feared, it's just like a dream. And everything that Jesus has won is divided amongst his people, the riches of the new creation. And so the people in Isaiah 33, they sing... And they declare, Lord, be our strength every morning. Lord, be our salvation in time of distress. And we can trust you because we see your power. We, th we see the need that we fear you, not anything else. And if we're on your side, we have nothing to fear. We look to the future. And it is very wonderful. And at times, you have to know that the future is wonderful. Because right now is scary. And so what do I say? What do I say to my friend who I met up with this week? I'm not sure I'm going on with the Lord. Friends, what do I say to you if you're despairing? Or exhausted or overwhelmed? Well, sometimes we need to hear from one another. And we need to know, chapter 33, verse 6, the Lord is a sure foundation for our times. He is a sure foundation for you. 
in the circumstances you're in. And if you doubt it, look to his power. Look to the fact that he's an everlasting fire, but the Lord Jesus has made it safe for you to draw near. Look to the future. You may need others to tell you that right now, but keep holding on to those things. He is the foundation for your times. Let's pray together. The Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. He'll fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. Our great God and Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a sure foundation for our times. Father, for each and every one of us, you're a sure foundation for the circumstances that we're in. Would we fear you rightly? Would we entrust our lives into your hands? Know that it is far, far better that you are in charge of our destiny than we are. And knowing that, would there be a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge? Father, would we look to your power, particularly your power and salvation? Would we look to the future that Jesus has secured? And would we trust you? Amen.